0: Talk is Jericho It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll and home of the uh, mostly always funny Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. Hey man, uh, I know like I don't know myself,
1: this COVID thing, I've gained about, you know, fifteen pounds just like hanging out, not
0: getting outside, whatever.
1: But I got a new diet. It's uh you wear bread on your head. It's a great diet. Yeah, it's a loaf. Hat diet. Thank you very much.
0: Goodbye. <laughs> uh, what do you say about that one? A loaf hat diet. Um, yeah, that's pretty good, actually. <laughs> Duff's delivery always makes me laugh. Uh, thank you, Duff, for delivering like clockwork every Friday. And you know who else delivers like clockwork every week? The Winnipeggers. New episodes drop Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, on my Facebook page and YouTube channel. This week, Ribo, Dave, and I talk bad TV spinoffs, and there are some truly awful ones that come out of some classic hit sitcoms like MASH, Full House, Three's Company, Cheers. See how many you remember with the Winnipeggers, and here are ridiculous uh, rundowns of all of them. Check it out now on my Facebook page and YouTube channel. And next week is the return of the Idiot Olympics as the Winnipeggers goes live on Thursday night. I think we'll go probably about 8 p.m., Eastern on Thursday live Winnipeggers returns the idiot Olympics part two so check that out as well over a quarter of a million views of the Winnipeggers show since we started so thanks to all of you who have been checking out if you haven't seen it yet go watch it it's a lot of fun it's about 30 minutes long every week so we uh, get in get some laughs and get out so go check it out now all right and also check out Stallone Frank that is And that's the title of his new documentary about his life and career. Stallone, Frank, that is, was directed by Derek Wayne Johnson. Available now on iTunes and video on demand. Go check it out after you listen to this episode. Really good documentary. Features a whole slew of celebrity guests, including Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Duff McKagan is on it. All telling stories about Frank. And you hear some of those stories coming up. Frank talks about getting the part in Rocky where he was... uh, singing on the street corner there landing songs on the staying alive soundtrack including his biggest hit far from over boxing geraldo rivera in a celebrity match and competing on hulk hogan's celebrity wrestling championship show as well frank was in a band with john Oates before hall and Oates formed he co-starred in a movie with academy award winner martin landau he's been in something like 75 movies and tv shows his lifetime he's got three platinum albums a golden globe nomination and a grammy nomination And yet people still call him Rocky's brother. We talk about that as well. What an interesting guy. What a fun interview. Frank Stallone coming up right now on Talk is Jericho. Let's just jump right in with that, Frank. How has that been for you when you've been basically playing shows and been on the road for the last 45 odd years? Yeah. I mean, you must really miss being on stage and playing.
1: Well, I I do because, I mean, I actually enjoy playing live more than I do, you know, recording. I mean, I record a lot, but there's something about, you know, to get the same emotion singing into a mic, into a glass mirror, opposed to like a live audience. It's it's like, I can't imagine you guys like doing a smackdown and there's no audience. I mean, because you guys feed off the audience.
0: Well, that's part of being a a live performer. and, And we did have to wrestle with no people for about six months. And now we have limited crowds. And the first time we had, I don't know, five hundred people in a six thousand seat venue, it felt like Madison Square Garden. It was just like, "There's people are here." How big were those
1: huge, big Smackdowns? Like in the eighties with Hulkamol, Hulk? those were huge, right? Those were like fifty thousand people, right?
0: Well, but they they can be. You know, it's like there's big shows like that, and then there's smaller shows. But the bottom line is, and you know this, whether you're playing in front of fifty thousand people or, or fifty people the energy is is everything
1: you got to do your show you know i've i've played because of snowstorms or whatever things like that all of a sudden the promoter comes back frankly at the place there's like 10 people i said well i'm going to do the show because 10 people weathered a horrible storm to come see my sorry ass so i'm on <laughs> stage and i'm going to do my show and i've just always been like that because you know what sometimes they're your greatest shows you know what yes. I, I have been you know, I used to box all the time, but my hands were all screwed up. So now I bought Bob, the punching bag, you know, Bob, that's like the figure. Yeah, yeah. Wear his ass out for the next few weeks because <laughs> I don't hurt my hands and I can get all my frustration out. I can paint a face on it. I can paint like my agent and everything like that. Just hurt, you know? I just can't get those heavy bags. i tell you, man, these bags, they make now
0: so heavy at the end of the day. It's like, Jesus. You know? Well, it's interesting because one, one of the things I think when we we're talking about the lockdown, we haven't been able to do live shows, but other things have come up. And one of them is, is this documentary of yours yeah. that's just come out, uh, uh, Stallone, Frank, that is. And listen, I mean, obviously, I've followed a lot of the stuff that you've done, but watching this documentary, it's, it's really well done. And it really paints this great picture of a very talented guy being yourself, but kind of always – Tagged with one of the most famous last names ever. It's not like your your brother is Sylvester Jones. I mean, Stallone no. is a brand. Stallone,
1: yeah, right? it's not like Sylvester the bootycat Cat. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> yeah, it's right. that.
0: yeah, I know. It
1: is. And 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 I think that's what the documentary talks about, Chris. Perseverance. I mean, let's face it. Even in your field, no one starts at the top. I right. Mean, you probably did those things for 200 people, like at a VFW or something like that. Stupid. Of course. Yeah. Well, that's how I started music playing. I think my first gig was on our next door neighbor's lawn for like $5 <laughs> in $5 for three guys with a fortune back then. <laughs> yeah. 1965. You know, so, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, so it's a progressive road, but I mean, I believe it was a, a divine intervention on my part because there's no one, it's not like I came from a real talented family. My hmm. father was a hairdresser, you know, and, right. not, and not a good one at that. But I'm just saying. So, and my mother was just out there. You know, she was who she was. But the thing was, it's 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 so unlikely that my brother and I—I mean, more him than me—because he started a little later than I did. Mm -hmm. I mean, we thought he was going to end up like in Sing Sing or something like that. You know, he was always getting in, always getting in fights and trouble. Was a horrible student. So you would never think this guy's going to be like an American icon. Mm -hmm. But it's but so there's something there. So I guess the. The good man upstairs is looking down on us because it kind of, you know, it kind of gets you through a lot of stuff. Everyone has their niche, whether it be athletics, whether it be, you know, singing, writing. So I just found my niche really early, but it's it's it, look, it's a long road. I tell all these kids if they want to listen, I said you better have a thick skin because if you think you're just going to walk in and make it happen, it's not going to happen like that.
0: So let's talk about the documentary. How did it get made and kind of how did the concept of it uh, getting done, how was it pitched to you and all that sort of thing?
1: Well, it was pitched to me by this young filmmaker, Derek Wayne Johnson. He had just came up to me one day, met him at a party, and he had done a movie on John Appleton who directed uh, Rocky, one out right. Rocky, called King of the Underdogs, which I thought was a really well, well done movie. So after a while, one day he just said, hey, let's have lunch together. And I said, all right. And he said, "We want to do a documentary. We find your life is interesting." I go, "Well, I'm happy. Someone does." So, you know, and then we 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 took it from there. And and I said, "Well, the way I can help is just, you know, I just know a lot of people I've known over the many years, guys I've worked with, record people, whatever. And uh, all of a sudden, they just kind of fell in line. I mean, I didn't think my brother would do it." Because, you know, mm. he doesn't do that stuff. And then when he said that I'm everywhere as much as talented as he is and what he tries to do, that was news to me because he's never said that to me. <laughs> Why didn't say that to me 35 years ago? <laughs> it's my ego a little bit, you know? But, you know. And that and all the wonderful actors, uh, you know, Danny Aiello, you know, God rest my soul, my mother. But it was just one of those things. And it just, and I was not. At any of the interviews, because I didn't want to be. I wanted, to, mm. I wanted to think. Well, we think Frank is a smacked ass. We hated him. Good, put it in. Yeah, diversity, right? <laughs> we did, so we didn't have like a contract saying you know, you, know, you can only say nice things about Frank, right? That it was a, like let her rip. And I was just, I was listen. When I went to see the premiere, eh, I was. It surprises anybody because I hadn't I didn't know what the hell they're gonna say
0: well and you and you had such I mean Arnold is great in it you I may mean, have Schwarzenegger talking about you and working out with you the classic Arnold <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah no, Arnold is great what's your relationship with him
1: well I've known Arnold a long since the 70s you know I've known mm. Arnold a long time because uh, I knew his wife maria Schreiber from philadelphia she was a newscaster oh gotcha and we were from there and then I, I met him and and we both have the exact same birthday july 30th so there hmm. we go there and one of your guys in canada paul anka but we, we'll just stay with arnold no, a little...
0: <laughs> and then of course a, a good friend of mine duff mckagan just randomly shows up duff is a great guy you know what i mean and he's got a great story himself i mean when he mm-hmm. Back
1: from, you know, the, the addiction and all, and he's a lovely person. You know? Yeah,
0: he's a great guy.
1: Yeah, Richie Sambora from Bon Jovi I've known since he was a teenager. I mean, I knew him when he was a kid, when he, you know, was living with his parents. He used to play in a band with you. Yeah, well, he would sit in once in a while. He was in another band, but, you know, it was a kind of, that was in New Jersey, It's kind of a tight-knit like kind of community, like say one guy would have a hangover. Hey, can you come in and play bass tonight? Yeah, okay, sure. Whatever. Right, 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 right. That? Or, you know. And uh, that's why I knew him. And of course, John Oates, I knew from 1970 when we were in a group together. No, He said I was wearing makeup, like pancake makeup. It really wasn't. What it <laughs> was was clear because I had zits. So, <laughs> I had it on my face, so I looked like a kabuki, though. But that's what It, was. it wasn't pancake makeup.
0: Well, tell, tell me because you come from Philadelphia, and obviously that's where Hall and Oates is from—the kind of the whole Philly soul sound, that sort yeah, of thing. Because yeah. I think one thing that pointed out in the documentary is that, like you mentioned earlier, you kind of started your path into show business before your brother did, yeah. and started kind of playing the, the 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 bars and doing that circuit and all that sort of thing. But talk about that in those early days. To say, how did you hook up with with, with Oats and and kind of how did your career begin at that time? Well, you know, I started,
1: uh, I, tur- I turned professional <laughs> in 65, but I was singing way before that. That was like the doo-wop stuff, a la what you see in Rocky One, standing on the corner, that kind of stuff. And I wasn't a juvenile delinquent. I just had a high voice, so they let me sing with one. Right? Like, <laughs> no. And uh, so, and then one thing, and then when the Beatles hit, that was it. You know, that was over for us. I said, okay, doesn't get any better than this. So, mm-hmm. Beatles. And then we, uh, you know, we were kind of not really good musicians. We were kind of learning on the go. And then we started a little band, the American Tragedy, which we talk about in, in the thing. And then I started a group called Valentine. So that group broke up and I got oh, Christ. So I played solo for a while and I'm only 19 years old at that point. So then, uh, late 69, early 70, we got the, some of the guys together from the original Valentine and we needed a lead guitar player. So john oates the bass player knew john oates he came in he was a wonderful guy you know really really still a nice guy you know mm-hmm. and he was very talented and we stayed together for a while and as he says in the documentary you know he he did what all guys did i mean he was the one guy who graduated college we barely got high school so he was like a smart guy in the group we were like the idiots right so he goes okay i'm gonna backpack through europe i said well there goes the group but that was the logical thing in those days that's right we did, eh, hey, it I'm going to go and stay in youth hostiles and pick up chicks in Amsterdam. Hello. So we're stuck in Philadelphia. That group broke up. And then then I was a solo act for quite a few years, made three, about three or some years, you know, and uh, just kind of a vagabond, eh? you know, like a Gordon Lightfoot type character, but with no money, just traveling around, you know, and just being kind of a balladeer. And then uh, we put the other group together, Valentine 3, and that was the group that stayed together the longest, and that was the group that was in Rocky. You
0: know, All right, we'll talk more about Frank's role in Rocky, but first I want to talk about Athletic Greens and how adding this to your daily routine is super easy, delicious, and one of the best things you can do for your own health and wellness right now. You just mix up Athletic Greens, a nutritional drink like I do every morning, drop one scoop of their superfood powder into a glass of water, stir it up and drink it down. And in that one glass, you get 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients. I think it's the whole food source ingredients that gives Athletic Greens its great taste. You'll definitely taste the pineapple, which I love. Uh, I also love it's not really sweet. It doesn't mess with my stomach. You drink your glass of Athletic Greens on an empty stomach so that your body can really absorb all the nutrients. I've been drinking Athletic Greens for a little over a month now. And one glass a day increases my energy and focus, helps my digestion and gut health, and gives my immune system a boost. And with everything going on in the world right now, helping out your immune system is especially important. You can drink Athletic Greens even if you're eating keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, whatever it may be. It's got less than one gram of sugar. It's a win-win all around. And right now, Athletic Greens is doubling down on supporting our immune systems during the winter months. They're offering you guys a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase, AthleticGreens.com slash Jericho, you'll never have to buy vitamin D again. So whether you're looking for peak performance or better health, let Athletic Greens help you invest in your energy, your immunity, and your gut health in an easy, tasty, and efficient way. Go to AthleticGreens.com slash Jericho. Make a daily commitment for your health. Go to AthleticGreens.com slash Jericho Get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs at athleticgreens.com slash Jericho. That's athleticgreens.com slash Jericho. It's one of those things where I never noticed before that you were the guy standing at the street corner at the very beginning. Now, meanwhile, as you're going through kind of building your name in music, what's going on with, with, with Sly at the time? Acting wise, like how does how do you guys, guys both converge with Rocky?
1: Well, his career was kind of going nowhere. Actually, my career was kind of on a better trajectory than his. Yeah, you no, know, he'd done some movies. He, I, his, it's one of the worst movies, but I think it's one of the greatest movies I've ever did called Death Race Two Thousand. It's classic. Yeah, yeah. So bad that it's cool. Hell, you know what I mean? Right. I mean, yeah. I've done like seventy-seven movies, and I've stated seventy suck. But now they're becoming cult classics because people, <laughs> people are in the bad movies now. I said, okay. <laughs> so we did that, and then uh, all of a sudden, our band was looking for a deal at RCA Records, and he, you know, his career was not doing good at all. I mean, he done you know Police Story, Kojak, things like that, but he wasn't he wasn't really the type they were looking for in Hollywood. You know, he I was kind of like bulky and yeah kind of smuggling yeah mumbling yeah, you know and so they were looking more for the ryan o'neill kind of looking type guy so all of a sudden he goes hey, i wrote this book this movie about boxing and he wanted to, he wanted to know if i'd do a song and i had no idea what the hell am i write about in a boxing movie you know i'm trying to i'm dying over here so i go out there so make a long story short we uh he comes to philadelphia i never thought the movie was going to happen but he ends up shows up philadelphia because you got that song i go uh, yeah okay i got that song and he goes but the band doesn't want to be in the movie and i go and he says what do you mean it be? i said because we're making 140 bucks that night for the whole band shows you how much we suck five guys and 140 bucks take 28 dollars off the top for our managers so we're not left with too much split five ways So, obviously, our dating life was not good. Okay. So so he goes, so he was getting upset. And then he came back, he goes, we'll give you 140. I said, we're making 140 each. We go, what? Hmm. Whoa, that's like a (laughs) month. I mean, it just shows you. I mean, when you think about 1970, that was like what we'd make in maybe three weeks or a month. I mean, so, I mean, my apartment was $80 a month. You know, so, I mean, if we made. If we made $100 a week, so you figure five nights a week, 168 minutes of music a night, and you're taking home like $20. I mean, right. it's not, it's not a, a career builder, you know? So we did the movie, and then just forgot about it. And then the rest is history. It just, it just, people fell in love with this thing.
0: Well, and that's the funny thing is because he wrote this, your brother wrote the script for it. Yeah. And then it's cool to put you in the movie with with the song Take You Back, which, of course, you guys are the doo-wop guys gathered around the the barrel b- filled with fire on the street corner and that sort of thing. But did anybody know the potential of this film, or was it just kind of a low-budget thing, or was it a major studio movie from the start? It was a low-budget movie actually made for drive-ins,
1: to tell you the truth. I mm. mean, they thought they'd get their money back. I saw some of the the what they called in those days the rushes, the dailies, and I thought it was pretty special. It had, it definitely had that on the waterfront type vibe. Right. And I thought it was really great. But I always thought my brother was a really good writer too. So mm-hmm. I thought it was great. And then, man, it knocked me out when all of a sudden it just became, you know what it was? Chris, it was like the little train that could. It was like this movie that came out of nowhere. No, only known actor in it really is Burgess Meredith. Right. As the penguin. I mean, from, you know, that. Yeah. Album. This guy's one of the great actors. He's known as the penguin and Batman. Okay. That's right. So, and, and all of a sudden people just fell in love with this movie. They just fell in love with this movie. And, and like I said, the rest was history. It was just went on.
0: It had its, own, had its own amazing life. But then that also kind of helps you because now your career gets a big boost with, with, with Take You Back and, and you did a kind of a, a more rock arrangement of it. And now suddenly your career is, is, is building as well. Until Rocky was over, then our career like nosedived. That's what
1: happened because we were only listen. We were on these big shows. We were naive. We we're teenagers. We were living in the you know Trenton, New Jersey. It's not like you know we we didn't have any mentors or anything like that. So all of a sudden, when the Rocky thing kind of faded after like well, close to a year, then all of a sudden everything stopped. The record deal went down the toilet. No more TV shots nothing so the group broke up as you see in the documentary right and i kind of went out on my own it was kind of it was you know when you're younger like that you're kind of bulletproof because you have no sense of mortality you know what i mean so but i mean i went from playing big places you know wow rocky hollywood to back to playing the ground round for 30 dollars a night while people were like eating like <laughs> so it had like sawdust on the floor with peanut barrels you know what i mean so i went from that so like in my own town, I was like a total like failure. They go, "Oh man, right. what a loser!" I go, "Well, I agree with you on that one." So, and then my brother said, "Why don't you just get the hell out of there? What are you doing there? I mean, you've exhausted everything there. Why make it worse? Try something new." So, I got in my car and I drove to California,
0: and I've been here ever since. And now I want to get the hell out. So, they- <laughs> there's an interesting thing though, Frank, that I that I really, um, really kind of took to. When you were playing, to take you back, and you're doing all these gigs, and you're advertised, at Rocky's brother.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Come see Rocky's brother play his big hit from Rocky. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, because, and I'll tell you why why it relates to me in a second.
1: Well, because it was it's nothing that I wanted. Because we were a band, we were like all, you know, we were like good friends and stuff. So it's not like something I wanted. But these, uh, you know, the powers at beast at all. Oh, this will help bring in people. And it did, but it kind of starts separating the group uh, from each other, and it was it was kind of a drag. And uh, I think that was probably one of the factors. But I I think the group had been together like almost eight years, and probably
0: you know. But it, it's kind of embarrassing too, though, because it, it it makes it almost like you're a novelty. Yeah, right? like- exactly, a novelty act for sure. Totally makes it like feel like a novelty act because I. I've been playing in a band for, for years and it's, we're over it now, but for the longest time, I mean, now we have, you know, five top 30 hits and all that sort of thing. But for the longest time it'd be Chris Jericho of WWE and Fozzie or Chris Jericho, the wrestler's band. And it's like, there's nothing worse for an artist than being pigeonholed as like, Oh, it's the novelty act. And it's just like, Oh, it was so embarrassing. I'd like get that. F- off the poster get rid of it yeah i hate it but did it help the band see i don't know if it helped me no it didn't help i i think it hinders you as much as it as it might help you because i think people don't take it seriously you know and you probably had the same thing oh it's rocky's brother. As if suddenly just because your brother's famous now you're just jumping into the you know trying to do a cash grab not realizing you've spent 20 years building up your craft
1: so they thought you were probably going to come
0: on stage and get someone a full nelson yes you're exactly right like a kiss show right like, yeah and they probably thought you were gonna come on stage with boxing gloves and do a boxing routine Oh, as yeah. you're oh
1: no I mean they thought it's gonna probably come out full camo with an m60 and like <laughs> the audience or something like that you know but you're right and and you know but it all it you know it kind of I think why the documentary is doing well and why it relates because on different levels people have stuff like Say the local guy, his brother was the star in football. Everything he's the younger brother, right? And he's getting that. I got that military school, but the difference was with me. I got my ass kicked because of my brother because he was such a delinquent. So I went there. There were guys that was payback time, and I was like the human receptacle in that. You know what I mean? (laughs) I was. Yes, you go. You my brother's name was Mike. Then he didn't like Sylvester. He goes, you Mike Stallone's little brother. Yeah. Pow! Oh, man! Stole my locker. You know what I mean? So we So I paid the price on that one, and I also paid the price when Rocky came out because I was boxing in the amateurs, and now all these guys were friends just wanted to kick my ass. Right? Oh, yeah, man, we'll kick Rocky's brother's ass. I go, whoa! Wait a second, brother. I thought we were friends. He goes, Nah, I need it. <laughs> so they could They could tell their girlfriend, "Yeah, kick Rocky's brother's ass."
0: Yeah, here's here's the best part. Rocky's brother. Rocky's not even a guy. It's I a know, character. It's a real <laughs>
1: they say, hey man,
0: I just kicked the Grinch's
1: brother's ass, or like <laughs> Frankenstein's, you know, little brother. I mean, I know it's not even a real person. I mean, people come up to you and go, "Hey man, you Rambo's brother?" I go, oh, "God." And and sometimes you know it, it hits you on a day. When you've like had it um, just because maybe other things coming in your universe. And it's yeah. Like, Man, loved you in Rocky's Brothers movie. I go, thank you very much. <laughs> and then I realized maybe they're just brain dead. You know, maybe, yeah. just, you know, some people are really stupid. And most fans, well, okay, some people are not stupid. They're ignorant. Yes. You wouldn't go up to a regular person and stick. Like something in their face while they're having dinner, and there's some people that are just so nervous and shy they might say yes
0: I agree with you there frank I- I've noticed over the years that some people are just clueless and kind of rude like would you ever go up to a stranger and slap hey slap you on the back it's like oh. but most <laughs> Especially not a professional wrestler <laughs> oh, yeah I think a lot of people are just nervous so they'll say something that maybe doesn't make sense or, or is out of play but but like you said you got to really be Uh, cognizant of that because it's easy to just snap at somebody you you never want to do that and you know Chris I had a great wrestling career on Hulk Hogan's Celebrity Channel oh Christ man I want you to tell me all about that but first let me tell everyone what they need to listen to after they finish this show Wonderies Against the Odds in July 2018 12 youth soccer players and their coach found themselves trapped six miles deep in a cave with no food and water and depleting oxygen the rock form maze became almost completely submerged as the water rose to levels nearly impossible for survival no light no way to communicate with the outside world that's terrifying i heard about this on the news i remember and now wondery's done a deep dive into this incredible story the first season of wondery's new original series against the odds takes you to the incredible events of the adventurous group of teens who found themselves fighting to save their lives and the brave heroes that gave them their only chance at survival. So right after this talk is Jericho episode with Frank Stallone, I'm going to give you a special preview of against the odds. And while you're listening to it, go ahead and subscribe to against the odds on Apple podcasts, Amazon music, or listen ad free in the Wondery app. So get ready for that. All right, Frank, we're talking about you doing Hulk Hogan's celebrity championship wrestling. Tell us more about that.
1: Look, I I go back to wrestling different era, like Bobo Brazil, and yeah, Kieler Kowalski and guys like that, Hanson Moxman, Eric, you know, the Prince von Eric. So the modern stuff was great, but I wasn't like really clued into it. But all these celebrities that were into it were like really into the modern like wrestling, you know, the Hulkster and all that stuff like that. And I knew I wasn't going to take those when, like, when, what's that called? When you have to land with your hands on your back, taking take a bump. Yeah, forget. There was no yeah. bump because all of a sudden my neck and back would go, oh, God. <laughs> but the money was great. The money was great. I got to tell you. So I went on and I knew Terry, you know, I knew Hulk and Hulk was a good guy, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then, you know, so we were set with nasty knobs and he looks like a fat guy until they like airplane spin you out of the ring, you know? Right. Right. So he was there and beefcake Brutus and they were like, our coach is really nice guys. But I think I should have kind of understood it. Cause when slide did paradise alley, with all the wrestling in that movie with Terry mm-hmm. Funk and guys, they don't look like like Mick Foley. They don't look like they can move until they're on your ass. They're faster than you think. Right. And they're quick and they're strong. And they can take tremendous amount of punishment. So my first thing is with Dennis Rodman. I'm looking at him across the ring. He's like kind of skinny. I said, I'm just going to knock this fool out. As he picked me up and threw me like a dart into the turnbuckle. And you don't realize, my brother goes, Frank, he's one of the greatest rebounders in basketball history. You're a rock musician. He throws guys around there 300 pounds. And you just don't realize the ferocity of of, there's the amateur level and then there's the pro level. Right. What happened, I got thrown off the show because they were doing, you know, they were doing every day they were doing like a different challenge. So, I don't like heights, right? You know, so there's a thing, it's like about 25, 30 feet high, and you jump into like a bag or like a trampoline or something, and the stunt guy's there, and I'm there, God, no shit, got this, baby. There was a lot of girls down there, and I'm wearing my leotards. I go, dude, I got this. Trust <laughs> me. I get up there and I shit my pants. I get up there and go, because oh, I have vertigo. And I right. start like this, I'm talking to the stunt guy, and he's there sitting there going, I said, has anyone ever gotten hurt here? He goes, ah, yeah, yeah, you can break your neck if you're not careful. I go, what? <laughs> and I just, it was like that movie with Mel Brooks, like high anxiety. <laughs> I, and I just walked out. I couldn't do it. And I got thrown up the show. He called me a Draboni. Draboni. <laughs> like, but, but here's the thing is I got paid in full. And as I'm walking out, these guys go, you lucky son of a bitch. Because they got their asses kicked. They had to stay. <laughs> I was on from Screech. So yep. they stayed on for a few weeks and they got really banged up. And I was on for a week and I walked away with all my money, so I was all right. You're okay? I <laughs> cut out for it, man. I mean, that's a special type of person, as you know. I don't have to tell you that can do that because it's you know they think it's fake. I said, why don't you go there and find out? Yeah, it might be staged, but break you in half. In the meantime,
0: a live a live stunt show, if you will. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you got to make some paint yourself, right? Chris? Yeah, I mean, after 30 years, but you just get used to it after a while. You know, if you, if you've never done it before, oh, no. I mean, I can, you know, it's just like handing somebody a guitar and say, "Play a solo." You're like, "What do I do?" I don't know what to do. Okay. You know, you have to build up and practice, just like you mentioned, starting yeah. out, you know, starting out slow. Another great part of the documentary is kind of like the the, the peak of, of your recording career is how Far From Over became oh, a hit yeah. and how it was even, you know, kind of. So talk about that because Sly gets the job in directing and writing the sequel to Saturday Night Fever.
1: Well, what happened was when I found out that, that he was directing, it, of course, I got, went over to uh, the Paramount lot and my crappy car and figured, <laughs> and I felt my career was over at that point because I was, 31, I was 32, and everything had just gone sideways. So I figured, well, if I could get maybe a 15 second piece of music in the movie, like yeah, maybe 20 bars or something like that, I could get some residuals because, you know, the first movie sold 56 million albums. So, wow. Yeah, 26 million double albums. And of course, he told me there was not a chance for me. I go, thank you very much. And as I left the office, I stole the script. So I went home and he said, yeah, and read some stuff, you know. I said, all right. So I went over and started writing stuff. And I was kind of, after I read the script, it kind of paralleled where I was because Tony Manero now wanted to be considered a credible, you know, like artist. He wanted to make it, you know what I mean? Yeah, as a dancer. That's yeah. where I was at. Yeah, but that's where I was at, man. I wanted to like, you know, I wanted to make my move, you know. So when I was writing all that stuff, I guess subconsciously it was going through and Far From Over was the apex. That is totally autobiographical because I'm down, but I'm far from over back in the race. Boom, you know, getting knocked down, get over, knocked down, get over, knocked down. So the Bee Gees had, had some kind of a disagreement and were not involved in the movie at that point. So now they're freaking out. Now you got the sequel to the biggest musical in history and you've got one of the greatest groups ever, now they're not going to be in the movie, So they call Hall and Oates. (laughs) It all kind of goes full circle. (laughs) Because they called Daryl and John for Rocky One. Oh, wow. Yeah, so Daryl, when I did a show live in Daryl Place, he goes, I don't know, we just like keep paralleling each other because every time we turn something down, it becomes real big for you. I go, hey, (laughs) I'll take it. You know what I mean? I said, I'll take it. So what happened was that so also john heard my music and i guess he picked up the thing in there you know i guess he mm-hmm. had just picked up where i was coming from and the, and the. but i believe the music for me it was very sincere it wasn't like i was out just trying to you know of course i wanted to be success i wanted to, you know i mean i would invested my whole life in this with with nothing to show for it so this was the first time i really got a chance to to show my stuff you know what i mean so that's how, how that happened. And then all of a sudden, I'll never forget. All of a sudden they start adding my songs in the movie. Now it's three songs. Now it's four songs. Now it's five songs. Now it's nine songs. Hmm. And now everyone's getting pissed at me. Now, when I come to the office, like before they're like rolling their, well, they're rolling their eyes. Every time I come in with new songs, oh, here he is again. <laughs> Rocky's brother. And all of a sudden, <laughs> when I started having hits, that tone changed real big you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that, that whole vibe changed real big, but but so it was just, it was the greatest time of my life because it, it it kind of, all my dreams came to fruition, you know what I mean? It was like, oh, God, you're talking almost 20 years of be- mm-hmm. in trenches, and uh, you know, it's like being a contender for 20 years and never quite getting that shot. So I got the shot, and it worked, and then it, I, again, went ass sideways, because I just never had the proper team now my managers were my friends which was the, my first mistake you know it's like if I had Irving As off I don't care if I like him or not but, right yeah or you know are these guys like that but I didn't so I had no mentorship and I should have gotten a three album deal I only got one album deal same thing with RCA. I said why do I always get a one album deal? And you know, it's some like guy that plays a grasshoppers gets a four album deal. I don't get it. So that kind of happened, and then all of a sudden, I went from staying alive, playing stadiums around Europe, around the world, to playing. A guy goes, "Hey, listen, I got," and I was desperate. Nothing was happening. He goes, "I got this bar to, for you to play, man. This gig in Florida. I got three gigs in Florida, and I swear to God, Chris, on my life, I come up in Florida. And those days, my songs were unreal to real." So, singing to the tracks, you know, like you would. Right. So I get up there, and I swear to you, I come pull in. I go, so where's the gig? It was a dry goods store, like a liquor store with a bar connected to it. I walked in, honest to God. This, if the stage was three feet by three feet, it was a lot. No light, uh, like a bad mic they used to order food with. Oh man, and a tape recorder, and yeah, and the tape then. And there's like two drunken cowboys in like Florida, like truck drivers at the thing. I go, Who am I singing to? What what am I doing? I'm trying to do these romantic songs from Staying Alive. But then <laughs> I do it. I said, to These two guys, I'm going like, to kill you guys. So I'm driving around in a limo. So the next gig is this. I pull in the um, oh, 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 Florida Key West, right? Okay, I go into the club. It's a huge club. I go, This is great, man. This is awesome. I. I go out there and I'm wearing like, you know, parachute clothing, you know, stuff like that. And there's not one girl in the audience. I go, not that I'm a homophobe. I go, it's all like guys with crew cuts and big mustaches, like in tight t shirts (laughs) hundreds. Okay, so I said, hold on, guys, I'll be right back. So I got out of my other clothes and put like really baggy clothes on, like (laughs) hammer pants. And I came out on stage. I started singing and I was nervous as shit because I never played in front of an old male audience, you know, right? like a biker thing or something. And I got to tell you, man, I think they picked up on it and they were the best audience ever. They're great. <laughs> they were, they were great. And I did eventually find the only girl in the club. So I did end up. Okay. <laughs> did all right. Yeah. yeah They're all right. Like an old girl club, nothing happens. So here, this one, so it was good. But it was a great experience. But it's Star Wars, man. It's like. Mm. You have to be able to have thick skin and come back. Most people would have quit. Most people, mm. I, I can't do this the same one.
0: The hip hopping and the flipping, right. success and the failure, they couldn't have done it. They just couldn't do it. So for the soundtrack for Staying Alive, because I think there was some B.G. songs on it, but the rest were majority majority of uh, of your material. It, it, obviously, I sold millions, right? Yeah, yeah. Did you retain? Yeah, any we have golden publishing? platinum and all that. Any publishing or royalties of that? For of, you? Course not. <laughs> of course not. They screw everybody. No, I, I I maintain
1: my writers, but the publishing. This is how they get you because, uh, and that's why people are getting their publishing back. Here I am, twenty years in the trenches, nothing happening. Ah, hey, you don't want to give us the publishing? We'll get someone else. I go, right, you son of a bitch. Okay. What can I do? What are you going to do? Right. What am I going to do? I mean, I'm going to turn down Saturday Night Fever. So, but now, I mean, I get pissed off now as I'm older thinking that they they sent all their kids to Ivy League schools on my publishing. Yeah, right. Of course. You know what I mean? But the smart guys like the Eagles, you know, these people kept all their publishing and that's where the money is. People don't understand that. I mean, Bob Dylan just sold his publishing
0: for $500 million. Yeah. Think about. It. Well, but, but like you said, what choice do you have? Either, you don't have any choice. Yeah, exactly. It's but, like hey, Chris, you're going to do this match
1: tonight. You're not going to get paid, but it's big, and you could get your ass kicked. Eh, okay, I'll do
0: it. Because if you don't do it, someone else will. Someone else going to do it. Someone was slipped into that spot in two seconds. But then your song "Far From Over" becomes a huge hit. I'm sure that was a great time for you. So let's talk about uh, that after I mention another inspirational story talking about Diamond Dallas Page and his new documentary Relentless which is available for free on Amazon Prime and details the incredible story about how DDP created his life-changing DDP yoga program you guys know what DDPY has done for me I've been talking about it for years now I talk about it a lot more in the new documentary also I'm one of the uh, uh, celebrity uh, talking heads and you know that I do DDP uh, anywhere and everywhere when I need to backstage at AEW or Fozzy gigs in hotel rooms in my own living room, even my front yard. It's a killer workout that you can do at your own pace as well. It's good for any age and skill level. And Diamond Dallas Page is so sure you'll love his DDPY program that you'll get 20% off the DDPY app when you sign up for free 7-day trial. Just download the DDPY app and get started. You'll get access to hundreds of workouts, live workouts from the DDPY Performance Center in Smyrna, Georgia, and you'll get some per- personal motivation from DDP himself. You can connect a Bluetooth heart monitor to keep track of your workout data. You can stream the app to your TV so you can do the workouts on your big screen. Just download the DDPY app today. You can get it for iOS or Android. I've got it on my phone. Then go to ddpyoga.com Jericho to sign up for seven days of free access to the DDPY app and to take advantage of 20% off the DDPY app. You get seven days for free and 20% off the DDPY app right now ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Watch the inspiring story about how, how Dallas created the DDPY program in the new documentary Relentless available for free right now on Amazon Prime. Let Dallas and DDPY change your life like he has for thousands and thousands of people. Get on the path to healthy living. Stay there. Get the best mental and physical shape of your life and go do it now at ddpyoga.com slash jericho That's ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. All right. Before we get back to Frank Stallone, don't forget about the new quarantine video for Love's a Deadly Weapon. Uh, Almost 70,000 views in uh, just over two weeks. It's to come out of the gate strong. Go check that out. And don't forget, I'm too old for this shit. A heavy metal fairy tale, the documentary I produced about sirens showing that your dreams can come true no matter how old you are. It's a great rock and roll documentary. It's a great uh, uh, human documentary and that's available on Amazon and iTunes now. Let's talk about the when, when Far From it becomes a hit, because now you're getting a chance to to appear on a lot of these you know American bandstands and, oh, yeah. and all that sort of thing. So t- t- tell me about some of those stories. That must have been a great time for you. Oh, well, come on. I grew up in Philadelphia
1: with the American bandstands. Right. Clark, you kidding? He was like our God. So when I did the show, even though it's not quite the same show, it was like L.A. It wasn't as cool as it is. Was yeah. It? But it was still great. I did all the talk shows. Only show I didn't do was the one I wanted to do was Johnny Carson. I did Merrick, and I did Dinah Shore, Jim Neighbors. I did them all. Midnight Special, Rock Concert, all that stuff like that. But uh the Tonight Show, the two shows I would have loved to have done in my career as a rap would have been the Ed Sullivan Show and uh Johnny Carson. But all that stuff was good. And then it ends. You know, it stops. It's like and it's like. It, it, it's a bit of a culture shock because you, you kind of get used to being treated with respect. You kind of get used to people being like nice to you and all that stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah, And you're a star, right? You're a star, and you're, but, you're, but the thing is, what was always important to me, Chris, I never got into this for the money. I never mm. did. I mean, I started, like I said, I believe it was a gift from God, and I started because it was what I could do, it was easy for me, And it was, you know, coming from a broken home, it was actually a form of acceptance around friends and new people. You know, oh, God, he can sing, he can play guitar. So kind of got you in the mix. eh? Mm -hmm. And uh, so there was really no going back. I didn't really have much of an education, as did my brother. So once we were in it, where am I going to do? I had no skills. I mean, I could have muck stalls at the, you know, Budweiser plant for the Clydesdales. I don't know what I could have done. You know, <laughs> clean out the booths and stuff like that. But I mean, I really didn't have any skills other than that. And mm-hmm. uh, and it was something I loved to do. I mean, I really enjoyed doing it. And it's is it ego gratifying? Yes. But it's really ego gratifying when you see the people that are really enjoying the show. Like, mm-hmm. I get asked, well, do you ever get sick of singing Far From Over? I go, not really. Because every time I sing it, it's a different experience because it's the first time people have heard it live. Right. So, and that song saved my life. If it wasn't for that song, who knows where the hell I'd be. So, I don't do that. And I really hold um, a, a, like bad feelings for, I see a lot of big acts and they'll go on stage and they won't do any of their hits. Yeah. And I sit there, I go, you know, these people spent all this money. They don't want to hear your new songs. Because, first of all, your new songs like suck. Okay. But, <laughs> He lost yeah. it a few years ago, pal. So, and, and and I find it really disingenuous. Now, I've seen Sinatra. I've seen Tony Bennett. I've seen them all, Stone. They all play their hits. Mm. I went to see Bob Dylan, who I think is one of the greatest songwriters. Didn't play one song. Yeah, yeah. Didn't talk to anybody. Because back to the audience, couldn't understand a word he said. And I'm going, where's Blowing in the Wind? Or, you know, mm-hmm. Highway 61? Nothing. And I go, wow. And people paid a lot of money to come see him in this place. And I just found that so jive. If you want to be, Neil Young has pulled that stunt a few times. And I really just don't, I don't like that. You go see James Taylor, he plays all his hits. Mm -hmm. You go see Cat Stevens, he plays all his hits. Paul Simon, they play all the hits. And I consider them just as artistic as anyone we just mentioned. And I just think it's like a bad thing. I mean, you know, why have your audience go away disappointing saying, gee, why? I thought he was going to do that. I saw it with Christopher Cross. He wouldn't play any of his hits. People are there, like, you know, after a while, people are, Ride Like the Wind. Okay. <laughs> Sailing. Sailing. Okay, we'll get to those later. And all of a sudden, after that, it's like, ah, blow me. That, you know, I mean, they so said at the end of that, they're done. Yeah. You've lost the audience. Now they turn on you. Right. So he's playing Ride Like the Wind. They're walking out. There's four people left. Yeah. Get off the stage. You know, I mean, so I'm saying, say, don't you get it? There's, they, came, they came to hear those songs. It's like if I didn't do "Far
0: From Over" and take you back. Yeah, you, that's that's what they came to see. Yeah, it might be the only song they came to hear. <laughs> just to talk a little bit more about American Bandstand, because I just watched it. It's really cool to see. Because, uh, tell me, kind of how it works? Is everyone's dancing around you, but obviously you're playing to to the tape? The, the bass player's got the best mustache ever, by the way. Oh yeah, porn mustache. Yeah, he's just rocking. He's not even player. He just, the other guy couldn't make it. I don't even know that guy.
1: Go, hey, oh, they just had him come Stand here? Yeah, and I said, man, why are you Weren't sleeveless? Like, no arms Forget it. <laughs> yeah, but that was the look I said, kind of like 12-inch arms You know, so they am like Yeah, I mean, it was there. A lot of them were My band. It's like, kind of when You're singing, they're not I, Aren't they dancing? I don't know. They might have been dancing But but the whole thing was to meet Dick Yeah. I mean, I didn't give a shit about Anything else. I wanted to meet Dick Clark And I became <laughs> friends with him because I did Uh I did another show for him, a pilot. Mm -hmm. And he wrote me, I have to find out, I have to frame it. He wrote me a great letter. He was a good letter writer, Frank. Thank you for helping us. It was called Putting on the Hits. Oh, yeah. And he was, you know, he was the most professional guy you ever met. It's like, even if it was insincere when you met him, you felt like you knew him forever.
0: You know, he was great. That's a true pro, right? Yeah. Yeah,
1: like Merv Griffin was like that. You know, certain people, you just meet them. They're just, they, they're they warm and they're good people, you know? And and Dick was one, everyone liked Dick. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why he was on the air for 60 years. That's know? right. That's right. Well, Merv too, right? Merv. And also
0: too. do all the different yeah. shows as well.
1: Yeah, you know, but very funny though, but doing that show was like an apex. I And now you were saying they didn't recognize me in Rocky One. Well, look at my hair. Like Gino Vanelli, was like, uh, <laughs> I think like Angela Davis. You know, I all
0: So, what did you do? You mentioned so you're you're riding high, and then suddenly it all goes away again. And then, how do you rebound and kind of come back again this time?
1: Well, you know what? I started doing a lot of movies then, and I and I'm not proud to say that I somewhat abandoned my music career because I never made any money. You know, you, people don't understand. You know, when you you just want to have something to show up for your things, not that like it rules my life, but just, you know, never really happened. You got to pay the bills. Yeah. Yeah. Pay the bills. I couldn't do things I wanted to do maybe. So I started doing movies and they were paying me and, you know, like I said, I did a lot of lousy ones, but in between, you know, Tombstone, Barfly, Hudson Hawk, uh, Fred Claus, some good ones, you know, stuff yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. and then all of a sudden I said, you know, screw it, man. I'm getting back into music. And I'd slowly like 10, 11 years ago, I slowly put a band together and we've worked out all the nuts and bolts to like a really fine tuned machine. And I would never I'd never go back. And so now I'm not doing any
0: films. So there you go. When you were getting booked on the films, was a lot of it because you're you're a, a Stallone's brother? Of course. <laughs> They're all bad action movies. You know,
1: like I mean, here you go, here's the deal. Pay Frank twenty thousand or slide twenty million. All right. right. And that's why I named the movie Stallone in big letters, in tiny letters, Frank, that is, because I knew these Jamokes what they were going to do. They're like, you know, when you see the VHS box on the top, that says Stallone. Right. It's in the rack. People go, oh, my God, Sylvester's got a new movie. And they lift up in, like, microscopic words, Frank, that is. <laughs> I, mean, so I knew what the gig was. I mean, I was that's one thing I wasn't. I wasn't naive, and I wasn't stupid as far as I knew. But you know what, Chris, I went in and did the best job I could in a bad situation. I mean, some of these directors, I think, were brain dead. I mean, mm-hmm. but I went in, because that's just how I am, and, and tried to do the best job I could. They said, okay, now you're going to do a wheel kick and spin kick. I said, I don't know how to do that shit. What are you talking about? <laughs> so they always have double cycle like, on motorcycles. I, they had me as a motocross champion. I've never been on motors. I don't know how to ride a motorcycle. So a guy goes, I said, what are we going to do? He goes, don't worry about it. We have a guy. So I had this guy like doing this incredible stuff, like on this like mountain, mountain bike, right? And all of a sudden, they cut to me getting off, taking my helmet off. My, like, ah, you know, what I mean, and <laughs> right. the same thing with karate stuff. It's always like a mess. That I turn around, and go, "Well, that I'll teach you." You know what I mean? So it's just like, <laughs> yeah, but I was athletic in a way, but I didn't know martial arts and I didn't know how to ride a motorcycle. You know, <laughs> shooting guns, I know I do. Ride horses, I know I do. But so. And, and that's the beauty of, of, of movies. I mean, you can make anyone look somewhat good.
0: Is there a is there one that stands out as being the worst movie you were ever in?
1: Oh, I think the worst movie was probably either Rollerblade Bl- Roll, Roller Seven, where I played the Dark Knight. So I had a beard there and this was the worst movie because the guy goes, well, we don't have a dressing room so you can use my apartment. And this guy had a ring, this is deep his bathtub like scum. I go, oh, what a me out of here, right? So they said, okay, we'll put you in a suit of armor. You're the dark knight. So the movie was so cheap, they put me in a suit of armor, but it's made of rubber. So it's supposed to be metal. So when I go like this, yes by knights, the thing would crease. You could see like the white seam. Like, <laughs> it was rubber. And I had the helmet on as I'm talking, the flaps, like when the helmet going, and I <laughs> they're flipping up. Yeah, they're flipping up. I go, this is so bad. That's actually brilliant. And we're going to do do an expose on this. Don Jackson was the guy who directed, and I swear to you, he made four or five movies out of this one movie, sequels, Mm -hmm. and starring Frank Stallone and Karen Black. We're in it maybe for not even a second. Right. Yeah, so the return of the – it's just people in the valley, you know, roller skating is so bad that was a really bad one savage harbor is a bad one uh there's more bad ones than good ones but some of them have little gems because the thing chris is a lot of it were really famous actors that were shot that were Mm -hmm. people i grew up with so i remember i did a movie called savage harbor where i played the rapist lawyer who's defending someone (laughs) in the end i'm laying there dead and they put a branding iron on my forehead says war and it's like smoking like, like right. sizzler steakhouse right but guess <laughs> who plays the judge in it martin landau ah. I'm the, the movie martin landau who won the academy award for edward is the judge <laughs> and jerry van dyke is like some bozo in the movie and he wouldn't have a hit tv series coach so Everyone has this and this and this in their career, you know, all of a sudden you're like up top, you know, yeah, he was on mission impossible and then it goes to crap. eh? And then you, you know, then you end up co-starring in a movie with me with a guy who had no idea what he was doing.
0: <laughs> Something else I want to talk to you about is when you box Geraldo Rivera, that was quite the uh, spectacle. I want to hear about that and how it happened. But before you do, I need to say a quick thank you to Geico for supporting talk is Jericho. I know all you guys listening either own or rent your homes. I know it's hard work, but you know it's easy. Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowners or renters insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing too because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. Go save some money and do it now. Let's talk about a few more things, Frank, that are interesting because you've had such a, like you said, an interesting career. Talk about the boxing match with Geraldo Rivera. Oh God! Well,
1: what happened with that? I hadn't been in the ring in twelve years, right? So yeah. I was living kind of like, hey, the cool life, you know. I was smoking cigarettes, then you know, I'd have a few drinks here and there. But I wasn't in boxing shape. I looked okay, but I wasn't in boxing trim, mm-hmm. you know. You know, and there's a difference, yeah. yeah, big difference. So I walk into do the Howard Stern show and as I'm walking in, Geraldo's on the intercom saying that he'll fight any celebrity in the country or any celebrity. So I said, that's nice. You know, that's cool. I had no intention. So Andrew Dice Clay was there and Howard were there. And I was just standing there. They go, hey, Frank, did you ever box? They go, yeah, I used to box. He goes, oh, you got to fight Geraldo. I go, I don't want to fight Geraldo. No, no, it'd be great. No, I don't want to fight, I'm here to promote my album, not to fight Geraldo. And he started breaking my balls. I mean, 5:30 in the morning, waking me up. So you do know, fight Geraldo. I said, "Why don't you fight?" Geraldo? I said, "I'll tell you what, Howard. If I can bust you right in your big nose, I'll fight <laughs> Yeah, you know, give you a little taste." So we ended up doing it. I mean, I, I, I had, didn't have that much time to get in shape. And first day in the gym, I had my ribs bruised, which, as you know, as a wrestler. Is unbelievably painful. Yeah. Can't move. Yeah, I mean it's really painful. and nothing you can I'm do about gonna, it. Pop, top me in the ribs. I would go. So I did that. My legs were like lead. I could. I'm trying to run around the UCLA track and my legs won't move. It's like I'm in quicksand. I said I'm going to now. My brother's breaking my balls. He's going. Hey, you got going to let the world up, you know. You're Rocky, you know. I said I'm not worried about Rocky. I'm worried about me looking like a new. <laughs> of course, it goes back to him. Yeah, you make me look bad. You know, it's like right. you beat up by a reporter. I said, I said, unbelievable. So anyway, so that's what I'm dealing with. And then I'm getting all this pressure. It's supposed to be just like a stupid, it's supposed to be like a, a celebrity fight, right? So all of a sudden, I'll never forget this. I'm, I'm in Gleason's gym in New York, right? And I'm sitting there like, you know, fights the next day, right? But it's got a lot of publicity. Mm. All of a sudden, these two guys come up to me. You can like see your face in their suit, like sunglasses. Hey, now listen here. I got a lot of money. You kick this red bastard's ass tomorrow because he was doing an exposé on the organized crime. So he's like guys there, like mob guys. They go, so we got. I got like twenty large on you. I go, "Wait, wait, wait a second, hold on now. So I'm thinking like I do this stupid thing for Howard Stern, and if he beats me, I get whacked out. (laughs) <laughs> right, I mean, what was it? So it's <laughs> into, so it's turned into like Broadway Danny Rose, you know. <laughs> so but these guys had like the bat, black black rap bands, hey, got a lot of money over, here. and like they're wearing like suits in the gym, like shiny shark. <laughs> So then I fought Geraldo, I won the fight, and we and we became friends. As you see, he's in the documentary. Yeah, yeah, because you know at the end I'd never I didn't disrespect him. You know a lot of people will go, oh, see, I told you I beat your ass, and that's just not my style. So mm-hmm. I didn't, do that. and I think he really liked that because listen, it's an ego. Sure, For beat you know on national TV. But I got to say one thing, man, he showed up. He's not a punk, far from it. No, he'll fight. <laughs> <laughs> thank god i won i could have been like in cement shoes and hudson bay well, yeah
0: your brother would have put you in the cement shoes i think my brother would have you hit yeah <laughs> exactly um another great thing that that uh just to, 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 as we start to wrap up is is you opened a lot of shows for don rickles oh god and what a what an amazing uh hilarious guy he was
1: uh, you know what It was really fun doing it for him. And I know I had to be on my P's and Q's and I always am. I mean, I'm never late. I'm always, you know, I do my show. I know, especially in casinos, when you're on, when you're off. Right? Right. And so with him, of course, he would abuse me all the time. You know, but that was part of his charm, you know, but he was a nice guy. So I'd open for him. So one time I was doing a show for him, Chris, I was so sick and I very rarely get sick. But it was one of those things where every joint in your body hurts and you're just nauseous i didn't know what it was probably the flu Uh, and they had to take me to the gig laying flat in the station wagon like i was a corpse it was almost like a funeral card you know yeah i get there i'm in the back usually i have a lot of people in my dressing room talking i was like and i went to go frank five minutes i go oh boy now i knew if i didn't do that show i'd never work with them again because they're from that old school right so i went on and people go, Frank, that was one of the best shows you ever did. I don't remember doing the show. <laughs> That's how bad I was. But he was a great. He was a, He was a. He was a great guy. You know, he, he used to torture my brother. Oh yeah, what did he say? My brother's career was not doing good at all. So Sly and Jennifer came to see me at a gig I was doing out here with Don. So here's Don. So my brother is very self conscious. He's the biggest movie star in the world, but he can't get a movie made. He's like, so Don walks up and goes, Sly, come here. It's over, kid. Okay. <laughs> 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 the look, but you know how Don goes, you know Sly. It's over, kid. Don't worry. <laughs> but he was just that kind of guy. But he, but they don't make them like that anymore. They don't have guys like that. The these you know Borscht Belt mm-hmm. type comics that work their way up from nothing. That that nothing deters them. Nothing. I mean, and I say that myself, I said, I've had everything happen to me on stage. I've been electrocuted, I've had shit thrown at me, I've had boyfriends want to kill me because <laughs> their girlfriend's looking at you. I've had everything happen. So nothing really is dissuasive, you know, of doing yeah. work. But I'm very proud of the movie and I'm very proud of the job everyone's done, you know, like my publicity firm, Rogers, Cowan PMK. Lee and branded films and all that stuff. I mean, you know, I, this is the first time I've had a team in like 30 years that right. knows what the hell they're doing, you know what I mean? Before it's so like the gang that couldn't shoot straight, you know what I mean? <laughs> I finally got, you know, guys that are real professional, you know, and and they do things right and and we're getting really good reviews. I mean, I mean, I'm known to get not great reviews. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, to get uh, rocky's brother sucks Okay, I mean, why do you say i suck <laughs> you rise, why why'd you have to go to rocky's brother
0: <laughs> so n- now that the movie's out and, and hopefully we'll be able to start getting back and playing shows again and doing all that great stuff what, what do you have planned for the future frank
1: well i have planned for the future to uh to get back and do shows hopefully this documentary will generate some interest for doing some uh Concerts again. Now is such a great time, which will be when this COVID is over, because there's so many Indian casinos that you could actually yes. make living just doing Indian. There's like 200 of them. So you yes. can just sit there and go from every weekend, go to one casino to the next. And they're very well run. You know, they got great back line. And, uh, why not? I mean, you you know, you come downstairs in an elevator, you go on stage. Yeah, it's a paid show. You don't have to worry about it. Yeah, it's like in the old days. I mean, listen, those those tours, I mean, I used to talk to Richie Sambora and Duff. Those tours are brutal then. That's yeah. why a lot of them have situations they have now because out of boredom, you know, drugs, they were getting, you know, this, but they're never home. They weren't, you know, when you're out on the road for like a year, I mean, probably, didn't wrestlers go out like sometimes two hundred? Oh, yeah. Days? Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, it was crazy back then for sure. You can't have any like kind of normal life. No, you you, you you end up being crazy just by the by your atmosphere and by the situation that you're put in. But it was fun, I got to admit. It was a yeah. crazy <laughs> fun.
1: Yeah, but again, you have no sense of mortality when you're in your 20s, you know? And uh, it's it's good. I'm Like again, I'm very, very thankful, very blessed. And I'm just loving this. I mean, I'm, I hate to see it end, but it, like anything in life, there's a beginning, a middle, and the end. But I don't think this is going to end because it's like my mother and all these people are immortal now. They're forever yeah. on the screen, so this movie will outlive me and everyone else. And then it could be reviewed. Then maybe my kids can sit there and go, "Hey, we you think your father's lousy movie." Thirty <laughs> years from now,
0: yeah. So we get this
1: recycling.
0: I love uh, Sly's quote at the end where he said, "If there's a, a plane going down and only one parachute." And you guys were in it together you know he'd give you the parachute i thought it was pretty pretty sweet
1: that's good yeah you know what it, 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 you know there was a lot of good sentiment in that movie and uh, i'm very, really uh pleased with it I mean, a lot of good sentiment you know a lot of times as we get older you know people 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 as they get older get a little more melancholy a little more sympathetic and stuff like that because when you're young you're building you know you're a little arrogant and stuff like that but it's it's nice. I was really happy because I was expecting some zingers there. You know, some guys. Yeah,
0: there. no, he was pretty sweet with it, there yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, he was good. And like
1: you no, know, he beats me up, and handcuffs. Me <laughs> and
0: he goes, oh, we roll. <laughs> Last question for you: Is there uh, of all the gigs you've played and shows you've played, is there one of them that stands out as being the best show that you've had, one of the most memorable shows that you've had? One of the most memorable shows I've had. I think when I went to Australia. You know, all of a sudden they
1: discovered far from over in Australia in 2015. <laughs> and you would think, seriously, the Beatles were coming. It was these two DJs called Hamish and Andy who were like the biggest disc jockeys in Australia. That When I got there, there was a parade. I mean, I showed the concert sold out in four and a half minutes in Melbourne, Australia at the Forum. i would never been treated like it was just amazing it was like the feel this is what i always kind of wanted i never got to do the big stadiums like springsteen and guys like that where you would have to like to fail you'd have to really suck right all they gotta do is go out and play their hits (laughs) that's it lousy concert that's all on you because there's no excuse for that and and that was the first time i'd ever had Well, i've had you know fans that love the show and stuff i mean that adulation just unbelievable people with t-shirts and you know Frank Stone, the Frank. like here's like you know god i just found one of the stickers frank hat <laughs> so they had all that stuff like they made stickers and t-shirts it was like unbelievable <laughs> and, the, and the australian people are just wonderful people there yeah love. it's yeah, a like, great country yeah but they're a lot of fun you know yeah they carry on and get crazy so that probably was, was was one of them, yeah.
0: Well, Frank, it's been great talking to you, man. Like I said, the, the, the documentary is amazing, and uh, I'm glad it puts the spotlight on you, uh, which you deserve. Well, Chris, thank you very, very much, and uh, thank you for having me on, my, uh, on your show. Hopefully I can come see one of your shows one of these days, and we're back rocking again.
1: Anytime, baby. I'll be in Florida probably at the Hard Rock, so. <laughs> All right, man. I'll see you down there. Thanks, Frank. Bye-bye, mate.